of you today. Welcome those who are worshiping with us online as well. Glad that you could be here. Now, last Sunday we talked about reacting and overreacting and responding and the difference between those things. I wonder, how have you done this week? Have you done pretty good with that? Did you respond appropriately at home, at work, in your neighborhood? How many of you really failed miserably and would like to just confess it today? Because <laughs> if you would, that would make me feel so much better if you would do that because I know what that's like. Okay. Well, three quick stories to get us started. You ready? First story, Laura and I, my wife and I are leaving Tennessee. We're going up to Kentucky. We're going up to, to uh, the Asbury Seminary where I went to school and visited up there. And so as we're driving along, we stop in Sparta, Tennessee. We stop in a fast food restaurant. It's McDonald's. Maybe you've heard of it, okay? We run in, run to the restroom, come back, and we order a Coke. And we're in a hurry. We just want to get something go, right? That's why we went to a fast food restaurant, right? The girl who served us was so slow. I wish I had a video. I, I mean, I'm not making this up. Now, sometimes things aggravate you, right? Sometimes people, the way they act, it really gets under your skin. This was so bad, it just made us start laughing. We were just laughing about it. And so she, she was so slow and deliberate. And she finally got up to the counter, and she set it down. And then she looked at us and she said her family motto that she lived by. She said, well, don't overdo. <laughs> and believe me, she was not going to. Somebody had trained her early on in life and that was what she had heard and that's what she practiced and that's who she was. And Laura and I just laughed about it. We said, I don't know that fast food is her particular wagon wheel, you know? I don't know if that's exactly where she needs to be. But sometimes you just have to laugh, don't you? All right, second story. Laura and I are in Birmingham over the holidays just recently, and we go to a barbecue restaurant close to the house. We want to pick up some barbecue to take home. So we look at the menu, and we're looking, and I can't help but notice I'm reading the menu, and it says this, chili dogs. And then in parenthesis behind it, it says... In season. <laughs> what does that mean? I'll be 66 years old next month. I've lived in a lot of places. I've traveled quite a bit. I've never heard that. Are the beans, is there a certain time of the year that they sprout and they just taste better than others? And we only, we only expose you to that just a certain time. It's only in season. So I looked at the waitress who had the personality of a rock, and I said to her, okay, I'll bite. What's the season? And she said, whenever they say. <laughs> so now you've taught me two things. Number one, chili dogs have a season. And number two, if you want to know what it is, you got to call that restaurant to find out. And somebody there will let you know if they're in season or if they're not. Have you ever heard? Is this a cultural thing? I'm just not sure. I know they got a law in Alabama that you got to have a barbecue place on every corner and a chicken finger place on every corner because I used to live there. And when I was in Opelika, that's one of the first things I discovered. And it was all good. Don't get me wrong. But 
In season, really? Have, how many of you have heard that before? I'm going, I, this has blown my mind. All right, third story. Laura and I, yeah, that's what I thought. Laura and I are, are um, going up to Asbury Seminary, and, and uh, I've been up there to the Beeson program. The, the president of the school gave me a scholarship. One other guy and I, we got to go, and so I'm there. And so uh, I'm rooming with my buddy Jeff Spiller, this preacher friend of mine. And so I get up, and I get ready before he does. And I'm going to go over to the cafeteria and meet some other preachers I know, and we're going to have breakfast, right? And so he says to me, hey, listen, if they have any muffins, get me a muffin. I said, okay. So I go over there. I go up. You know, they're serving breakfast. I go up. I look and see what I want. I, I order my breakfast, and they get it all ready. They put it on the tray, and I said, and I can see them. They're right there. I can almost touch them. I said, and I'd like to get a muffin too. And this woman looked at me, and I promise I'm not making this up. And I don't know if her sister worked at the barbecue place in Alabama <laughs> I don't know, but she looked at me and she said, it's not muffin serving time. <laughs> when is muffin serving time? Are you familiar with this? She said, well, we serve breakfast from this time to this time. And then once we get through for 15 minutes, you can buy a muffin. If you miss it, you just got to wait till tomorrow. What about all these muffinless people walking around going, I, I really wanted a muffin, but I just can't get one. It's just not time. It blew my mind. I just started laughing. And so I went and I sat down and I ate breakfast with my buddies. And then I waited. I waited patiently. I waited because Jeff wanted me to get him a muffin, right? So I waited. And finally, I looked at their clock. I didn't look at mine. I looked at their clock and I walked back up there and I said, may I please... Is it time? Could I have a muffin? She said, yeah. <laughs> and she got it and sold it to me. And I cherished it. I held it up high. <laughs> I showed it to other people. I said, I got a muffin. And then I went back to the, to the building we were staying in. I went back to the room, and I went in, and I, I was going to explain to Jeff the links I went to. I stayed overtime just to get him a muffin. And you know what happened? I got there. He wasn't even in the room. So I went upstairs to the lobby, and in the lobby, I found him up there. He was sitting around talking to some friends. And you know what I discovered? For all of us who were in this program, who had gone up there, now we've already graduated from seminary, we've come back, they brought us in. They have got all the people staying in this building, they've got a place in the lobby for everybody to sit and visit, and they've got muffins everywhere. <laughs> and they're free, too. You can just go up and get one and hold it. You can eat it whenever you want to. And I said, what are these people going to do with all this freedom? I just can't imagine what it's going to be like. And so I told Jeff what happened. He laughed. He said, man, I ate a muffin a long time ago, you know, never mind. I gave up on that. It's almost time for lunch now, you know. And I thought to myself, you know, I'd be frustrated if it just wasn't so funny, right? Have you ever had experiences like that where you just go, that seems a little controlling to me that you're only going to sell the muffins at a certain time. So here's what I decided to do. I decided to collect a lot of the muffins there in the lobby, take them to my room, hold on to them. And the next morning I went back to the cafeteria 
And before muffin serving time, I walked up to the counter right there where they're serving breakfast where she could see me. And I said, free muffins. Anybody want a muffin? We got muffins. We got them right now. You don't have to wait. No waiting. You can have a mu- You can have two if you want to, you know. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> but I wanted to. But I'm not bitter. I've moved on. It's only been 25 years ago since that happened, okay? So today we're in part two of the message series, Your Move, okay? And if you're a Jesus follower, he wants us to practice what Jesus instructed his followers to do. Learn to master the unexpected, unprecedented response. That's what he wants us to do. So what do you do when somebody stumps you, when somebody says something that you can't believe, when somebody just blows your mind, when somebody says something that maybe you would have a reaction to, how are you going to deal with it? Because actions speak louder than words, and reactions speak louder than either and tell the whole story. So in other words, the way we act, what we do, the way we respond, people are watching, right? And so it makes all the difference. And overreactions, have you ever had to apologize for those? Yeah, we all have. But responses, the appropriate responses, cause people to be surprised. If you ever respond to somebody who's being ugly to you the way that God responds to us, they take note. They sit up and pay attention. You should be angry, but you're not angry. You should be bitter, but you're not bitter. You should be demanding your own way, but you're not demanding your own way. You should be broadcasting your grievances to everyone, but you're not doing that. You should hope they fail and celebrate their failure, but you haven't done that. What are you up to? You have forgiven them, and they have seen it, and it makes all the difference. Because Jesus viewed mistreatment for his followers as an, are you ready? It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. He's just going to lob that opportunity into our court, and then it's our chance to shine right then. It's our chance to be his witness. It's our chance to do the right thing, to do what God would do, and just show that person love. And, and you know, who knows what's going on in their life? And so they may need that desperately. And his point is our responses are opportunities to reflect God's love. God's response to us was what? It was grace, and it was mercy, and it was patience, and it was undeserved. Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, and here's what he said. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? You see, Jesus wants Christian followers, Jesus followers, to be known for our unusual behavior. They were unusually kind to me. They were unusually accepting. They were unusually sensitive to me. They cared about me. They made me feel welcome. They reached out to me. They made me feel like I was important. 
because unusual responses come when we have negative circumstances and we have negative people and we don't react, we respond. One reason non-Christians push back against Christians is because of the way that we have reacted to the world. And sometimes the way we react, we expect them to act like us. They can't act like us. They don't know how. They don't know what it means to be a Christian. We have to show them what it means to be a Christian. We have to win them over in love. We can't beat them into it. We've got to reach them that way. And Jesus says, I want you to be known for sharing God's love. And you know what? If you just love your own people, the people you're used to, the people you're around all the time, the people that you feel comfortable with, everybody does that. That's no big deal. The world does that. But as Christians, you're supposed to be different. Jesus said, if you only welcome your own people, what are you doing more than others? He said, I want you to stand out because I want you to be accommodating and forgiving and gracious and merciful. I want you to be more than the world is, more than. He says, I want your responses to reflect the responses of your heavenly Father. Actions speak louder than words, but reactions speak louder than all of them. And reactions say something to the people around us, whether we realize it or not. Our reactions reflect our confidence or our lack of confidence in God. Now, I want you to understand what this means. If you watch Jesus, if you read the stories, if you pay attention to what he did, he didn't react to stuff. He responded a lot of times, but he didn't react. He certainly didn't overreact. And even when he, he got upset with the money changers, he was doing what he felt like he should do because they were out of line, okay? He was confronting them. And here's what happened. He, he got, you know, Jesus knew that he had confidence in his heavenly Father. He's saying, you know, my Father will take care of that. He'll take care. That's, that's in his job description. He'll take care of that. I, I don't have to keep score. I don't have to right every wrong. You know, my father will take care of that. So I've got confidence. I've got peace. You know, I don't have to straighten everybody out. I just need to love them and be a, a responsible witness to them. And, and the lack of confidence that we have will show people something as well. So here's the question for Jesus' followers only. What do your reactions say about your confidence in God? Think about it. What do they say about your confidence in God as a parent, as an employer, as an employee, and as a citizen? How do you react to disappointment? How do you react to heartbreak? How do you react when you're treated unfairly or unkindly? You see, what would it look like if we responded like God is in control of our outcomes? What would it look like if we really did that? The Apostle Paul talks about that. He says, the things that actually work out together for good for those, all things work together for good for those who are loved by God and those who are called according to his purpose. He said, no matter what you think, it's all going to work out because God's in control. And what, if we really believe that God is really in the details of our lives, then what difference is that going to make with our confidence in him? And that's the point Jesus was trying to make throughout his ministry. And that's, that's what he requires of us, to be like him. 
So I want to share a true story with you today about uh, when I first went into the ministry, and I was 21 years old, and I moved to Niceville, Florida, and I worked at the First United Methodist Church there in Niceville, and I worked with Dr. Doug Newton. Some of you may remember Alan Newton. He was a pastor here several years ago. And so he was in the youth group when I was there, and his dad was the minister. And, and um, I learned a lot from him. I learned about how to go to the hospital and visit people. I learned how to preach. I learned, um, you know, a lot about what's going on in the church and how to reach out to people and how to visit prospective members. And I learned how to eat raw oysters because he liked to do that. And he would take me, and, and I learned how to say in any restaurant to say, you know what would make this better? Do you have any Tabasco sauce? Because he liked to put Tabasco sauce on everything. I learned that from him. But I learned a lot of valuable things from him, okay? Well, there was this one layman that got sideways with Doug. I don't even remember what it was about. And he just really went off the deep end. And he just kept coming after Doug all the time. And, and Doug, you know, didn't even know what it was all about. I mean, this guy held a grudge with Doug for months, and he would come and sit right down front and worship, and he would scowl at Doug the whole time he was preaching. And he would talk bad about Doug to anybody he would listen to, and he would try to pick fights with Doug in meetings. And it just went on and on and on. And finally, after several months of this guy doing this, he got convicted about his behavior. And he stood up in a meeting and he described what he had been doing to Doug all this time. And then he said this, no matter what I did to Doug, he was never ugly to me. He never retaliated. He never got mad at me. He never raised his voice. No matter what I did, all he ever did was love me. And I want to publicly apologize to him and the church for my behavior. Wow. You talk about a lesson learned. Of all the things I learned from Doug, that spoke the loudest. Out of that whole year that I was there, the way that he responded to that man in love taught me an awful lot. You know, out of all the things that I could learn, that was so powerful. And here's what I want you to see. You see, you and I don't control outcomes, okay? But we can, with the help of the Holy Spirit, control our behavior. God's in charge of the outcome. But you know, with God's help, then I'm going to ask him to help me to respond appropriately to people. In response to criticism, in response to being treated unfairly, we as Jesus' followers should just press pause for 30 seconds and ask the question, what would it look like? And what would it sound like? And what would it be like if I really acted like God really is in control? Luke tells us that Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He set his face toward Jerusalem. He knew what was going to happen to him there, but it was time for him to go. And in the Gospel of Luke, it says this, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, now these are two of his disciples. These are two of his closest inner circle guys, okay? And I want you to really see, this is in the Bible. I want you to see what they asked Jesus. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? 
What about that? And I'm thinking to myself, wow. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. Now, the direct route to Jerusalem is through Samaria from Galilee, okay? And so that's the way they're going to go. But the Jews and the Samaritans, they don't get along together in the first century for a variety of reasons. So he sent some guys ahead, just some of his inner circle, and he said, let them know there's a big group coming. We need a place to stay. We're going to need something to eat, and we're willing to pay for it. But there aren't any hotels, and hospitality is a big deal in the first century in ancient times. But the people of the Samaritan village did not welcome him because he was heading to Jerusalem for Passover. Have any of you seen The Chosen? I love The Chosen. You know, Bill's on the third season. He's an overachiever. It just started in December. I'm just now finishing the second season. But, Bill, I'm, I'm on your heels, buddy. I'm catching up with you. So don't get too relaxed, okay? So here's the deal. When I was watching, and it's great, it's really great, but and you can watch it on Amazon Prime, the first two seasons, okay? Well, anyway, you can find it for the third season as well. Okay, so here's the thing. In the second season, this, this particular scripture is acted out. And, and when they do that, they're standing there, and these Samaritans are so ugly to Jesus and the disciples there. And I mean, one guy spits on one of them, you know. And I'm just sitting there, and, and I know the story. And I know what Jesus has told them to do. I, I, I'm preaching on it, right? And I'm sitting there, and I'm getting mad. I'm ready to take these guys out. These guys are being ugly to Jesus and the disciples. Well, we'll just let you know, buddy, how it's going to be. And I'm ready to just knock them into the middle of next week, okay? And I'm thinking to myself, boy, it's easy to react. I'm, I'm watching a movie, and I'm ready to react, Right? And in The Chosen, it shows that scene. Now, this was offensive to the Samaritans that Jesus was going to Jerusalem because they viewed a different mountain, Mount Gerizim, as the holy site chosen by God. But the Jewish people had chosen Mount Moriah. The Jews built a temple on Mount Moriah, and so the fact that Jesus and his guys are going to Jerusalem is offensive. The Samaritan refusal was so offensive in ancient times because hospitality to travelers who were on the road was something that was expected. Now, scholars believe that for three years, Jesus shared this message of the Sermon on the Mount. It was his core message that he was trying to get across. So his disciples have sat through this over and over and over again. What if I preach the same sermon every week to y'all? What if I just started doing that every week? Would you notice? No. <laughs> Some of you wouldn't, but you would notice that same power nap you get every week, and so you'd enjoy that, wouldn't you? But what, you know, think about it. And now, after the resurrection, John brings us to the phase that everybody's heard, this phrase everyone's heard, but they hadn't heard before. It's the same John who penned John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now listen, pre-resurrection, okay, pre-resurrection, when the disciples James and John had this rejection experience, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? 
And, and you know, you can just imagine Jesus going, have y'all not been listening? I've been saying don't return evil for evil. Don't be unkind to people who are unkind. Are, are you not paying attention? You ever watch the Andy Griffith show? I mean, it's a really old show, but they have reruns. And in the Andy Griffith show, every episode, there was one thing that was going to happen, okay? Barney, the deputy, was going to go off the deep end. And he was just going to get really elevated and, and excited about something. His voice was just going to get real high. And he was going to start yelling at Andy about what's happened and what they ought to do and how they ought to respond, right? And, and Andy's sitting there going, I'm going to try to bring you back down to earth, Barn. He said, no, Barn, we're not going to do that, okay? He's always telling them that. And, you know, that's kind of like Jesus here with these disciples. No, <laughs> no, it's not the scorched earth policy that we're going to practice today. We're going to do this different haven't you guys been listening because i want to teach you something brand new i want you to respond to the people the way i've responded to you to your sin to your brokenness to your inconsistency to your broken promises no we're not going to call down fire from heaven john we're just not going to do that okay but the other side of the resurrection things were different they're thinking my goodness gracious how patient Jesus was with us. And in Jerusalem, they watched Jesus apply this teaching that he had told them in the most extreme and unimaginable circumstances. When they arrest Jesus in the garden, and what does he do? I mean, they sent a small army to get him because the people sending him were thinking, well, he's just going to fight back. But Jesus doesn't resist, does he? Because they think that he's going to be like them, but he's not like them. And so he doesn't resist. And when one of his disciples takes his sword, Peter, and he takes off the ear of one of the soldiers, Jesus says, no, Peter, we're not going to do that today. Put your sword away. And then he takes the guy's ear and he reattaches it to his head. What if you're the guy? who just had your ear sliced off, and Jesus picks it up and reattaches it to your head. What are you thinking? If I'm that guy, I'm going, okay, <laughs> you win. You have my attention. I don't care what they want me to do. I'm with you, pal. You're in charge. You tell me what's next, right? But they don't do it. And they take him, and they beat him, and they mistreat him. And they accuse him of all kinds of stuff, and Jesus doesn't react. And eventually they take him to Pilate because they don't have the authority to kill him. And so the Roman government will have to do that. And so Pilate has this attempt to try not to kill Jesus because he can't figure out why they're so upset with him. And so they keep saying, we want you to crucify him. And he says, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll have him flogged. Well, if you're flogged, that's no small thing. I mean, you could bleed to death from being flogged. I mean, you're beaten just unmercifully. And so they take him out and they do that. And then Pilate thinks, okay, when I bring him back and they see what's left of him and they see how near death he is already anyway, surely, surely they won't want to crucify him again. But they say, no, crucify him. He's going, what's wrong with you people? What is it about this man you hate? So you want me to crucify somebody I've already flogged? And then at this point, he calls Jesus in, and he looks at him, and he's bleeding to death, and Pilate says, I want you to answer something for me. But Jesus won't answer a question. And in this exchange, we get a little bit of a clue as to why Jesus is able to respond this way in these circumstances. Pilate says this in John, 
Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have the power to either free you or crucify you? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know the situation you're in? Don't you understand that you need to talk to me and talk to me quickly because I can make all the difference. I, I can make the determination between whether you live or whether you die. If Jesus believed that Pilate was in control, if he believed that it wasn't up to his heavenly father, but it was up to Pilate, what would Jesus have done? He would have begged for a quick death like everybody else would have done in that situation. But Jesus didn't see it that way. And Jesus invites you and me not to see it that way either. Jesus answered in John, and he said this, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend to Caesar. Anyone who claims to be the king opposes Caesar. See, when Pilate looked into Jesus' eyes, there was something different. When Pilate confronted Jesus, he saw peace on Jesus' face. And even though Pilate was supposedly the one with authority, Jesus has intimidated him because he really has all the authority. And he's not even trying to intimidate him. He's just in control of the situation. He could do whatever he wanted to do. He didn't have to go through with that, but he chose to. There was something different about Jesus. And Pilate realizes, maybe I don't have the authority that I think I do. Maybe I'm not in charge. And even though he tries to set Jesus free, they decide, no, I'm going to crucify him. He forgives his crucifiers on the spot. And the other side of the resurrection, Peter who was embarrassed by his reaction to Jesus' arrest, Peter who fled, Peter who denied knowing him. Here's what Peter writes in 1 Peter. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. What's he saying? I didn't hear about this. I was there. I witnessed it with my own eyes. I saw him do what he'd been telling us to do, and I can't imagine being able to do it in those kind of circumstances. And Peter finally got it. And he realized that Jesus never lived a day in his life assuming that anybody but his heavenly Father was really in charge. See, in those moments when we get it right and we're willing to pause and decide that, no, he doesn't control me, she doesn't control me, they don't control me, God controls me, it makes all the difference. And when I entrust my life to my heavenly Father who judges justly, then I show a quiet confidence in God, even in the most difficult of situations, and people see that. Because in that moment, I take control away from other people, and I don't allow them to push my buttons. But I say, no, I'm listening to the single hand clap of God. 
And he's the only one that I want to please in this situation. And I'm going to celebrate when he helps me get it right because it makes a difference not just for me, but it makes a difference for those people who are around me. And when we give people and circumstances and power and control over us, you know, we don't have to do that. And after the resurrection, everything that Jesus said was now beginning to make sense. And the disciples had heard it, and they'd heard it, and it rung in their ears, and now it's coming back to them. And now that they've seen the resurrection, now they know where he's coming from. Now they see the end game. Now they understand what he's trying to accomplish. It all makes sense. And it made all the difference in the way that they went out with confidence and they shared the faith with others. His invitation to love and serve our enemies just like he loved and served enemies made sense. The invitation not to worry made sense because God controls the outcomes. Don't be afraid, even if you think there's something to be afraid of, because God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Light is only noticeable in the dark. It's during a season of disappointment, during a season of loss, during a season of been treating unfairly and unkindly, that we begin to see what the light is really all about. So we're going to try to practice this and take that light home with us. We're going to take it to work. We're going to take it out into the neighborhood and in the community. We're going to take it and put it online. We're going to take it to any place they're serving muffins at certain times. <laughs> and we're just going to be at peace and wait for the appropriate time when they say it's okay to do what they want us to do because that's our opportunity. We can pre-decide today, right now. I'm not going to do what somebody else tries to control me to do, but I'm going to do what my Lord called me to do. And Peter says this, to decide ahead of time that we're going to entrust ourselves to him who judges us justly is what we're called to do. So one last time, what do your reactions say about your confidence in God? And we're going to pick it up again there next week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's easy, easy to talk, but it's not easy to walk our faith. Give us grace and wisdom and courage and the ability to acknowledge that you are our Lord and to love others as you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's children said. It's so good to have you.